and historic fire season continues to rage on the West Coast. We're in the midst of a climate crisis. Uh, we are experiencing weather conditions the likes of which we've never experienced in our lifetime. And right now, an Ohio firefighter is using his expertise to help stop the flames from burning even more land and destroying more homes. It's nice to say a little prayer for everybody because this is a dangerous job out here. On TV, we only get a few minutes to share each story, but here we get to tell you all the details about stories that are important to Greater Cincinnati. I'm Stephen Albritton, and this is WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. Today on the pod, Chief Jeff Galloway of the Morgan Township Fire Department has been called away from Ohio and deployed into action in California. Record-breaking wildfires are raging around San Francisco and north into Oregon. Chief Galloway lets us in on what he's been seeing, how they're fighting fires in a world of COVID-19, and how you can help those fighting on the front lines. All right, joining us on the Beyond the Studio podcast, Chief Jeff Galloway with the Morgan Township Fire Department. Chief, you know, first off, we know you're out in California fighting these wildfires. Uh, tell us real quick, how are you doing out there? Doing good, doing very good. It's uh, long, hot hours here, about 16-hour days. Uh, it's in the mid-90s during the day, and um, but uh, very good. And uh, so far, we're in a camp of about uh, eight to 900 people, and uh, we actually have no, no, COVID, uh, no COVID firefighters in camp as of today. That's great to hear. So take us back. I know you, uh, as of recording this podcast, we're recording this on September 16th. Take us through the deployment. You know, what was that conversation like? And then what happened when you hit the ground out in California? Sure. So this, this, um, this fire here, the Dolan fire, which started in the big Sur California area, it was, um, it was, it was a, a typical wildfire in California. And then, um, they had a, a very rare, uh, event, uh, I believe on September 9th, um, they had a, a, a mass blow of the fire to about uh, an additional 35,000 acres overnight. So it went from 30,000 to 73,000 overnight. And with that, they actually had a, a near miss. They had a uh, 14 firefighters that had to deploy their fire shelters because of a, uh, a burnover. And with that, when the when the uh, the fire got to be that complex, then um, I received a call from the team to uh, come out and be an additional liaison officer, uh, working with the Pacific Northwest Team Number Two, uh, which is a Type One uh, Federal Incident Management Team. Wow. Take me back. You said that these firefighters had to deploy a fire shelter. Take me through that real quick. Sure. So, um, so each firefighter on the line carries a, uh, a, a fire shelter. It's in a little, uh, pack in, in your fire line pack and it folds up into like a square and it's made of, uh, uh, um, fire retardant, uh, materials. And it's like a little pup tent basically. And, uh, when, there's no escaping a fire coming on you. They deploy those uh, fire shelters and then they get into them and then the, uh, the fire basically goes around them and they, they can withstand uh, several hundred degrees of temperature. So they had to deploy those because their escape routes and all that had been compromised. So with that, um, they, uh, there was a couple of firefighters that were taken to the hospital and treated, but everybody is stable and all back to, uh, to good now. And so that's a, that's an event that on fires 
that's an event on fires that uh, you know is a is a safety issue and, and everything like that. So so the magnitude of a fire, an incident like that, it has a, a, an incident like that. We call it an incident within an incident. When that happens, then we uh, basically the the overhead folks, the incident commander, decides that he needs more uh, overhead staff. So um, this fire got split in half because it grew so big. So. I'm actually on the east side of the fire now over in King City, uh, California, across the mountain. And on the other side of the mountain is still the Big Sur and the coast where the other half of the uh, firefighters are. Wow. And I don't know if you've been able to speak to these firefighters but and, you know, in your years of experience with this. But, I mean, uh, I guess what would it be like to be trapped and surrounded by flames and just have to, I mean, in essence, wait? Well, I, I've never had to deploy my fire shelter. I, I'm mandated to, to train in it once a year. That's the federal requirements. I've never been entrapped in one. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's an environment that I don't want to ever have to be in. And it's a dangerous environment uh, with the heat and the fire. But uh, the way these shelters are designed um, are a, uh, a protection for the firefighters. And that's why it's a mandatory piece of equipment that everyone has to carry when they're on the fire line. Oh, so glad those uh, firefighters are, are okay thus far. Um, so you've been out there for, I believe, five days up to this point. What, what's, what surprised you? Because everything we're seeing out here in the Midwest is, uh, you know, the pictures of the glowing sky and, you know, the, the forest just on fire but you've done this before what's been the biggest surprise uh, battling these fires right now well i'd say two things one is is the uh just the magnitude of the of the fires from uh, california up to uh oregon washington state now they're kind of now they're getting over in the in the montana the magnitude and the numbers of the fires uh, there's just not enough resources to go around so everybody uh, our fire is no different. Most of the fires are having to basically play in the defensive mode than the offensive mode because there's just not enough resources, people, equipment to go around to all these major wildfires. That's that's put the, the system really on uh, you know overload because of, of the, the lack of resources. That's one. And then the second one is is the is the COVID nineteen the the preventions and the measures that everybody has to take in fire camp and then out on the line to stay separate but still fight fire uh, attend the meetings in here in the instant command post it's it's a challenge uh, to test the people uh, make sure that you know um, uh, in the food line at night that everybody stays spaced because when it when it runs rampant in a fire camp it's it's going to be a major impact and as I said there's already there's not enough firefighters and, and all that resources for the fires now and you know a fire camp throughout the country just can't afford a, a COVID-19 uh, outbreak as well. Yeah, it, it's it's incredible. You know, we've been talking about COVID for so long and how it's impacted every way of life thus far. And now even during fire season, which is really just getting started, you guys have had to basically completely change a lot of your protocols, I'm guessing, to fight these fires. Sure. The uh, So the U.S. Forest Service, who is kind of the, the overseer of, of this agency along with some other national uh, wildfire management groups, they've had 
they've had COVID uh, protocols and measures in place since this began because it was inevitable that, that forest fires and wildfires were going to burn this year. Uh, so you still had to fight the fires with, with dealing with COVID. So the measures have been in place for, for months. They're very good uh, procedures, policies, and procedures. But at the same time, you're trying to follow those while you're still fighting fire. And that becomes really the challenge. And and with that, obviously, you know, we we're watching these uh, forests burn, but there's towns, there's homes, there's cabins that we've seen, unfortunately, lost to this. Have you been able to speak to any of the evacuees and just kind of hear about what they're going through or kind of what they're going to be doing next? I've not had direct in, in uh, involvement with any of the evacuees. I do know that um, I do know that there, there, there's a large number here in, in this fire, in the Dolan fire, there's a large number of evacuees. Um, ironically, the incident command post where we're at is a fairground, so uh, some of the evacuated animals, the, the uh, horses and, and other animals that like, like that have been evacuated are here at the fairgrounds. Uh, being uh, attended to and cared for here at the fairgrounds. So I, I literally see the four-legged folks that have been displaced by the fires, but have not talked or had any direct contact with the uh, with the um, uh, adults or children that have been impacted. And I'm looking at your Facebook page, and uh, we'll we'll link it in the show notes for those of you listening to kind of see some of the pictures you've taken. And just in the last few hours, you posted that you were near the fire line with the active active fire, and uh, visited the helicopter retardant base with nine thousand gallons of retardant. Kind of put into perspective what happens um, at the helicopter retardant base and what nine thousand gallons of that stuff can do uh, to help stamp out a fire. Sure. So um, basically, that that the picture of that on the Facebook page is um, is what we call a, a helicopter retardant base. So that one is where uh, helicopters will come in and they uh, have a large hose and they actually will vacuum or suck uh, the red the red paint that you see coming out of all the airplanes. Uh, the retardant they will uh, pull that up out of the pond, out of the uh, we call those pumpkin tanks. They'll pull that off and then they'll go take it out to the fire, uh, the fire line. The retardant is used primarily for um, uh, both uh, suppression, stopping the fire, but it's also used to put down a a barrier when the firefighters are trying to do burn-offs or backfires to build uh, containment lines. So it's a little different than just dumping water on the fire. Well, dumping water on the fire basically will put the fire out, but it but it's once it goes on the ground, it's evaporated. The retardant. Uh, basically will stay on the ground for for a longer duration of time and uh, gives a better protective measure for doing a lot of firing operations and things like that. So with the 9,000 gallons, um, uh, each helicopter basically can hold up to 3,000 gallons at a time. So once they take a load, then they'll backfill uh, more retarded into that base. But they have enough right now for three helicopter loads if they're if they're a 3,000 gallon uh, helicopter. And they're all different sizes. You could have ones that only have a 1,000 gallon tank. But that's there for that north side of the fire. Um, uh, they built they put those all around as uh, as protective measures for the uh, aviation assets. Now, what you see on TV and on the news, the big jet airplanes that have the retardant those actually are retardant bases that they build out at like an airport and those jets actually will fly to the airport they will be loaded with 3,000 gallons of um, 
uh, retardant, and even more now they've got planes that hold up to ten thousand gallons retardant. And those uh, those airplanes, those jets will come in. They've been over our fire for the last three days, um, and they will drop uh, the same type of retardant just in a larger uh, larger area with a, a larger load. And it's absolutely incredible to think about what you guys can do between helicopters, planes and people on the ground and trying to run uh, hoses and water, you know, out to these areas. Um, You know, for you, um, you said you've been doing this and and been training in this since 2002. You've been deployed across the country in uh, various um, situations. You know, where does this stack up as far as size, scope and the resources needed to uh, fight these fires? Um, so I would I would say that this fire here that today it's 122,000 acres and it's 40 percent contained. So uh, it's it's a um, it's a I don't want to use the word typical, but it's a, it's a it's a normal type of wildfire. It's in steep, rugged ground, uh, hard to get. Uh, resources in and out of it um and then it and then it'll encroach on the towns and cities this is kind of like the the, the fire that's uh, in the western uh, part of the united states so the issue is not as much the fire itself because um the the folks on the ground the incident manager team managing these folks they're all professionals and 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 know to do their job it's just that the limitations to do it with probably half to third of the people and the resources that this fire should have on it is what the challenge is. And I know that that's the same challenge with every other fire uh, across the, the Western United States now, because we're on conference calls all day long and everybody's saying, you know, uh, we need, we need resources, we need people. And um, there's a, um, there's a, a network that we all can get on to see when orders are filled for people and crews and it's just a common utf or unable to fill unable to fill so the fires the fires doing their thing and all that are are kind of the same and and a typical type fire but it's the way we're having to fight those because of the lack of resources and I, i i mean you mentioned that you know these can't be filled or at least at this time i guess what what does the future hold over the next uh, few weeks as far as do you see that changing or is it just going to have to be this is what you guys are working with right now and this is what we have to deal with well i would say that um you know it, it every every fire is fighting for the same resources and the same equipment uh they have um uh command teams, area command teams in place to try and and maneuver uh, crews and resources from one fire to the other as the complexity grows on those fires. So it, it's being managed at, at several levels uh, to get the resources in. But I think, um, you know, COVID is one thing that resources are not deploying this year. Uh, you know, not only wildfires, but a lot of incident management teams and some other resources are now tied up with hurricanes, with Hurricane Sally and, and other issues. So when you have so many national uh 
incidents across the country there's just so many people to go around so so basically people are now resources are now trying to get a few days rest and then go right back to the fire line or right back to the incident command post and that's what that's kind of the that's kind of what's being monitored here at all the different fire uh incident command posts and, and on the fires is the um the human the human side of everybody not getting uh stressed overworked underslept and things like that so there's a lot of measures in place to monitor that, but um, as the as the, the fire season goes, I think it's going to kind of be status quo. I don't I don't know that we're going to see a large number of people that are going to deploy. I think the ones that are available are, are out doing it right now, or they're on their their two or seven days of R and R rest and relaxation before they go back. And for the people here in Ohio who really can only, you know, see these fires through the lens of you know local news and national news and and uh, cable television, what would you say to them about what's going over, what's going on over there? What, what would you say to them? Um, you know, I would say that um, you know there's a uh, there's a, a great great amount of people over here that are doing great work. Um, we are. Uh, the, the, the firefighters and, and everybody that's over here on the west side of the United States is committed to doing the job, doing it safely and doing it correctly. And, um, you know, I would just, uh, you know, be vigilant of uh, the work that, that everybody is doing. And, um, you know, each night say a little prayer for everybody because this is a dangerous job out here. As you see on TV, uh, wildfires are very unpredictable. And um, every day these guys go out on the line, you know, is a, is a dangerous day out on the line for them. Is there any way people can help or any, any way you know people can, I don't know if it's cash donations or care packages, any, any way people can help? Well, um, I will be honest with you. I just uh, We just dealt with some folks here that had some, uh, some cabins that got close to the fire and they wanted to do something like that. And there is a, a Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Um, and that is a, a great uh, a great foundation towards uh, firefighters, wildland firefighters for injuries or or anything like that. It's a, a very good uh, foundation. That is the Wildland Firefighters Foundation, and uh, I would encourage folks to, uh, to to look on that on the internet and then um, do some research and go from there. The Wildland Firefighters Foundation. We'll be sure to post a link to that uh, down in our show notes so you guys can find that. Uh, Chief Jeff Galloway, uh, please be safe out there in California. We're looking forward to getting you back to your Ohio- back here to Ohio. And uh, thank you so much for taking some time for talking to us here on the Beyond the Studio podcast. We appreciate it. Stephen, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you soon. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This has been WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. I'm Stephen Albritton. Thanks for listening. We've all seen it, that check engine light in our car. Do I check it now? Check it later? Can I keep driving? That one light doesn't tell you what you need to know. And if you get your weather from a symbol on your phone, you're not getting the full story. WLWT Weather has the only certified most accurate forecast in Cincinnati. It's where you get the difference-making details. You'll know exactly what to expect and when, so you can plan your day. WLWT Weather, Cincinnati's certified most accurate forecast.